And we're mm-hmm. off again. Uh, special Sunday edition of One Night in Pinehurst. Um, not to be confused with One Night in Bangkok, uh, where our guest Brian is from <laughs> uh, tonight or this morning here. How are we doing? Uh, tonight for Brian. Um, so this is a, a real fun experience. And, and uh, we feel obligated to bring to the listeners you know, different stories, different perspectives and and um, stories from around the globe uh, is what we're finding now. So really excited to, to have Brian on. Um, Maddie, weekend. How was your Friday? Friday's a big day for you, buddy. Yeah, Friday was good. We um we did. We actually got back. We've been off track. We got back and did a little dinner out on Friday. We've been just like oh. kind of relaxing. You know how I am. I like to, like to yeah. keep it nice and clean. We actually went out, got a nice dinner. Close the close the week out nice. Um, saw some friends last night that I hadn't seen in a while. So we're having a pretty good weekend here, and we're we're capping it off. I guess we're capping it off. We got a whole Sunday left. I mean, Brian doesn't. He's a future man. He lives in the future. But uh, yeah, yeah, solid weekend so far. I'm happy about it. Brian, welcome, man. Christopher Lloyd's out there with, with Brian. Yeah, can we get um for any Sunday football listeners. Can we get like uh, the the sports book from? <laughs> yeah, the almanac. Brad got the almanac. The problem is Brad doesn't know anything about sports, so he won't be able to help us, but he'll deliver us the almanac. That's all we need. (laughs) We can make the trip up. Bryce, Bryce, some ID. (laughs) Some ID. There we go. Yeah, Lao. And then in Thai, we'd say some ID. You remember that one, right? Uh Yeah, of course. Learned a few phrases and words over the years. We've busted those out at Thai restaurants. Yeah, I'm 12 hours ahead, so it's uh, a little after 8.30 p.m. here Sunday. It's actually a long weekend because tomorrow is December 5th and that is uh, Father's Day here in Thailand. It's Father's Day and that comes off of the um, prior, the old king, before this current king. Um, It was his birthday on December 5th. So that's considered Father's Day here in Thailand. So we got a long weekend. No work Monday. Nice. Love that. Yeah. Tell us, uh, you know, how did you make it out to Thailand? What was the, you know, decision to stay there? Um, you've been there, you know, Matty was telling me for, and you were saying in the, in the backstage green room here, like, uh, 15, 17 years now you've, you've been living. Yeah, at least that, at least, at least 17 years. It it just, it just kind of flies by, but uh, let's see, Matt and I, we went to high school together, of course. And then, uh, I always wanted to just get out and explore. So I remember even in high school, uh, signing up for those free newsletters for like travel companies and, and whatnot. Cause you know, we didn't have technology like today. So in order to see pictures of the world or whatnot and see what's happening out there, mountains in Africa, Southeast Asia, South America, I'd, I'd sign up and give the, my, my, my address. Right. And then I'd every day come home from school and get this like you know, stacks of all these different cars. Uh, your mom hated it. Your mom hated those. Yeah, oh, she didn't, she, she didn't like that. But uh, <laughs> I just wanted to get out and explore. You know what I mean? And I think what made it, um, I think, interesting for, for us growing up in Fitchburg, Massachusetts, is a, it's a unique city in the sense that you had people from all around the world, even at times of our parents. You know, we both come from Sicilian or, you know, Italian immigrants in the family. My mother's uh, 100% Finnish, you know, so you have in Fitchburg, you have uh, back in the day, uh, the the Finnish banks and the Finnish bakeries, you still have Saima Park, you know, yep. and now you have like the uh, the Hmong market, you have the Vietnamese temple, you have the Lao temple, you know, so 
I think growing up with all these people from different parts of the world, I mean, you go out recess and you'd have no less than five different foreign languages being spoken out outside wow. in recess. And I think that kind of, you know, caught my ear. I was like, oh, this is interesting. These are people that have a whole different kind of not only second language, um, uh, food and sometimes religion. It was it was interesting. And I wanted to kind of get out and explore. My mother wasn't so happy about it. And I still feel bad about that because she was like, you have, you know, with track and field, you have all these opportunities to go right to university right after school and just get it done. And I said, no, I'm going to live in the jungle, mom. And she was like, oh, my gosh, what do you mean you're going to live in the jungle? I just thought I remember reading this book, Ishmael, my Ishmael. And that oh, yeah. kind of just like, the gorilla. Yeah, that, yes, yes. Talking with the gorilla. And it, it moved some things around in my head. And I was like, wait, what is this world that we're living in? You know, is this really what it was meant to be? Because growing up in the States, this was like, this is everything. This is the best. And, you know, America is an amazing country. But I just wanted to go out and explore and see what else was out there. I was like, can I go? I have a passport. Let me check it out. And uh, I was I was itching to get out right after high school. And it wasn't too long. I mean, it was that year after graduating that I ended up coming over to Thailand as a volunteer. And this was up in the northeastern part of Thailand. So okay. anyone coming to Thailand, they break it up into basically Bangkok is the epicenter. I mean, Bangkok is the hub. It just pulls everyone, even in the country, in for work. It's where the skyscrapers are. This is where businesses Everything happens in Bangkok. You have the north with the mountains and everything. And then you'd have the south, the beaches, epic beaches. And then you have the northeast. So you can break it up into three different places outside of Bangkok. North, south, and then the northeast. And the northeast has a whole name of it of its own. They call it the Isan region. Isan. So I, Isan, yeah. And so Matt's going to know this because even if you go to Thai restaurants, sometimes you'll see Isan uh, menu or Isan yeah. name, Isan this, Isan that. They have their own dialect, which is very similar to Lao because it's connected to the Mekong River. And then across the Mekong River, you're in Laos. Uh, so uh, it was it's a unique part of Thailand. And it's where I started in, up in Isan. And that really just kind of, boom, everything happened right there. And in a matter of two months, my first time uh, volunteering. So I was teaching English uh, to monks. I was teaching English to uh, like heads of state in the in the in the the district I was in, they were coming in for like extra English classes. We were going to orphanages and, and teaching like a hundred kids at a time. It was like a handful of people. They're all European, and I was the only American there. And at that time, you didn't run into many Americans. Falang, a lot falang. of please, please use the falang, proper term. Yeah. Falang, falang, yeah, yeah. In 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 Thai, uh, foreigner will be known as as a falang. Uh, Falang. It's also the name for guava here as well. So your guava and a falang is the same thing. And what I was really, uh, you know, taken back by was just like the openness of these people. They come in and eat and sit with me. And at that time, I had studied Lao because of some Lao friends in high school, right? So I had had some of the basics. And and sure enough, that was that was the, almost the same as the Isan dialect, right? Because they're right on the Mekong River there. And so I was able to communicate a little bit, and it just kind of. It just it just opened my eyes and ears to everything, even your nose, your all your senses. You jump into a new environment, you know, at that age, 19 years old. I was 19 years old. And it's just everything is new. Everything tastes different, sounds different, looks different. And that for me, I think was I was I was hooked right then. And That's after that, I had my backpack and I started traveling other places around the world before I ended up coming back here. Yeah, that so that's always been for me. And obviously, we've known each other a long time. 
for me, the most impressive part of this for you is at the age you were at. And again, you can, this can go either way for you. We can either claim this to be courage or just sheer stupidity. We don't know the difference, right? But the fact that the fact that at that age, you just decided I'm going to go and drop myself into a completely foreign world. You didn't really know the language yet. You knew you you had studied. I knew the basics, but it wasn't enough. Yeah. Yeah. You're one of those people, I think, and you'd admit this, you're predisposed to just learning languages quickly. It's one of your skills. Like you, you pick them up like Thai, Lao, Vietnamese are all a little bit different, but probably one of some of the hardest languages outside of Mandarin to learn in the whole world. I think your brain is just predisposed to learning them very well. But I've always been so impressed, like, you know, and obviously you've got stories. I've heard them all since we've we've been close for so long. But the courage that it takes to just drop yourself into a spot like that. And I think when you got there, too, your plan was to teach English. But that was pretty much it. Right. Like there wasn't much else. You were just going to teach English and explore. And you didn't really have much of another plan until you figured out that you weren't going to live in the jungle. And so right. like, at, at, at what point did you decide, like, how long into living there were you like, I'm going to stay here. I don't plan to come back to the U S. So it was, it was when, after my first trip, I then, uh, got the, the, you know, the travel bug and had my backpack and I lived out of that. I lived out of that for years. I mean, seven, eight, maybe 10 years. I lived out of a backpack. You still could do it. (laughs) Oh yeah. I'm not that much you know, bigger (laughs) than a backpack right here. This is the only thing I own what's on my wall right here. That's why I'm sitting here. I'm like so proud of this picture. It's the only thing I have. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I traveled a little bit in Central America. I did Mexico because everyone's like, don't go to Mexico. Like, Hey, it's dangerous. And this and that. I was like, I want to go and see what's up. And I went to Mexico and I had the best food, the best connections, the, uh, friends and whatnot. It was just something totally different. A little bit in Guatemala. Uh, I had a friend living in Venezuela. And so that was like the heydays of Venezuela. And it's just yeah. like, people are dancing in the streets. Uh, life is good music everywhere. It was like an MTV music video in like real life, you know, so it's just like, <laughs> everything's opening up, you know, I didn't travel much in Europe or like places like Japan. Cause those were just back then. I was like, okay, that that's costing more. That was higher price range. So I was yeah. picking places that I could maneuver, work at the greenhouse in America, save up and then boom, I'd be out. Um, and I mean, that's another story of how I even saved up on, on getting over there my first time. But when you, when you asked me, how did I decide to come over this way? Uh, as you know, Matt, you know, I've been running and racing my whole life. I'm still mm-hmm. running these days, but not race, racing a lot coaching on the side right actually now. real quick but, uh, let's pause let's pause there because for another time we should talk about this you run ultra marathons uh well uh, i got a buddy on the team that does ultra he i've only done one ultra 100 i just that, dabbled in that to see what that's all about that's 62 miles yeah that's you know, crazy that was up in in Isan, not too far from Isan, up in the mountains but my 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 favorite distance is a half marathon do marathons 10k you know yeah you do them in your sleep uh, you just do them for fun at this point my first marathon was actually in Finland. So I went to go visit family during my travel days before I started school here. And I was uh, visiting relatives. I figured I'd hang out in Helsinki for a bit, right? And the first day I got there, I called. Keep in mind, these are days before smartphones and all that. So I had to find someone to use a phone, called up one of the relatives. Hey, I'm here. I'm going to stay in Helsinki and travel around. And I remember her saying, no, Brian, we need you to come right now because our daughter fell off the horse and broke her hand. We need help on the farm. I said, okay. So I literally... 30 minutes after arriving in Helsinki, I had to go to the train station. And then a few hours up north, they picked me up. And then I go right to the farm and I'm milking cows. Literally, it was within the first <laughs> eight hours of landing in Finland. I'm, I'm already milking cows. And then I'm doing that 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. every day in Finland. And uh, that was a whole new experience because my grandmother was like, hey, working on the farm was hard. And I said, all right, I want to try it, see what it's all about. I studied Finnish for two, two months at Simon Park. 
And, uh, and that was mm-hmm. before I took off and flew to Finland. So what I was, okay. I'm talking about running. When I get to yeah. Finland, they, they know I'm a runner, right? And I haven't been training at this point. Yeah. You know, I'm milking cows every day, right? Running in the woods <laughs> for fun. And then they're like, Hey, you're a runner. There's a marathon coming up. And it was the Helsinki marathon. And I was like, Oh, when is it? And they're like next week. And I was like, Oh, next week it's, it's not enough time for me to train, you know, which it really isn't. Yeah. And uh, they're like, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And then they look around and then like, wait a minute. The, the uh, uh, Kokola marathon is like three weeks away. You can make that one, of course. Right. And I was like, Oh no, I'm coming here as a representative from the, the my grandmother's family in America. I can't say no to this. You know, I'm like, Ah, 1920 at the time. And I said, yeah, yeah, I can do it. They registered me. I had three weeks to train for my first ever marathon, you know, 42 K and well, I blew up my legs. You know, I placed in second behind some guy from, I think Morocco. And, uh, <laughs> it was under three hours, not by much, but after that I was like, okay, now where am I going to go next? So I ended up flying to Malaysia for another marathon two weeks later which was crazy looking back at that. I'd never do that. You know, that's just insane. But you know, you're young and you're dumb and you just go with the flow. You yeah. don't have a phone. You just feel it out. What's next? Search Marathon Malaysia. I haven't been to Malaysia. Let's go there. I go there, land in Malaysia, and on my way up to Thailand, run a marathon. And then on the hostel I'm in, they, uh, they're, they're looking for an English teacher. So I remember, oh, this is a crazy one, right? So I run the marathon already and I don't know what I'm going to do. I got a three month visa, right? But what am I going to do here? Yeah. So on the hostel, there's a sign saying, looking for an English teacher. I call the number and she says, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you make it? We're having a meeting tonight. So I was like, okay, I ran out the door, got on the train, met with this woman. She was half Dutch, half Malaysian. She brought me outside. She's like, Hey, we're having a, a meeting for the new English course, right? But one of the you know, teachers didn't make it. You look like a pretty okay guy and pretty safe. You, you wrong, know, uh, wrong. That was the first uh, mistake. <laughs> they're like, can you be the the head teacher of the course? Or we're walking in with all the university teachers that are gonna, you know, do this test run English program. So I said, sure, sure, I'll do it. So I walk in. Hi, I'm Brian. Yeah, I I just whimmed it. You know, I just just right there, just on the go. All right, I'm Brian from America, and we're going to start this. Hold, I didn't start making on. up the whole lesson plans. Hold on. So, like, well, so, 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 yes, Gibby, so before you go, so everybody knows, this is kind of like one of the running jokes we have between us is like Brian teaching English is hilarious because his English is like, we laugh at him, right? Because he starts to like leave words out because he, he's he's speaking so many other languages, his English. He'll leave out words like the, uh, and and just skip through sentences. It's like one of those puzzles where you read it and they take the words out, but your brain still knows what someone's saying. <laughs> so that's the funniest part about this is he's te- teaching English and it's basically a second language to him now. Go ahead. Give yeah, me. yeah. Well, my question was kind of in line with that too. It was around like, you know, did you have any formal training or like any school is an actual teacher? Like it's not <laughs> no. easy to, to no. learn how to teach and like capture an audience. I mean, you're captivating enough already, but um <laughs> let alone do that in foreign language too so yeah yeah no this was uh there was no uh, i had no training there was no training even for this part it was, it was a volunteer job uh but they did give you free food and free stay for three months at Kabangsa university so okay. boom i was in there you know uh working on my bahasa malayu malaysian and for three months was staying at Kabangsa university uh, which is a, a Muslim nation. And that was a new experience for me, you know, going around the mosque and learning about, you know, uh, a new religion to me at that point uh, and how they thought of the world. It was just a different lens into like how they see where I'm coming from and how they view their own country 
and everything in between. And so that was just like something fresh and different. And then when I wrapped up the course after three months, I was so excited when they were like, guess what? You actually have a stipend of a hundred US dollars. I was like, no way. I'm rich. I was was so pumped. I was so pumped because I had this like mosquito uh, infested room and I had to get a mosquito net and everything. It was just like, it was, it was interesting. It's a hot place, Malaysia too. But the, the resiliency, the resiliency, that's, that's another one of your skills that I think makes you successful in doing this and bouncing around is you don't, you, you never really end up in a situation where you're like, well, I'm not going to be able to get out of this one. Like you always find a way to spin yourself out to the next thing. And then you try to make the best of the next thing. And if that doesn't work, you're all, like, you have like a very short memory that way. He'd be actually Gibby. He'd be a really good kicker or closer, uh, <laughs> short memory. Get out there, do the job, and <laughs> yeah. then don't worry about it. It doesn't so matter if you miss the last five. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you miss the last five. So I love these stories. I've heard them all a million times, and I could keep hearing them. Probably partly because of the thing that makes you a good teacher is, like Gibby said, like you can control the room. Like you're excited. You're excited about what you're talking yeah. about. So it's it's funny that you went there for one thing. You ended up doing another thing that you love. And the thing that kept you there is something that you had no plans to do at all, which is teaching. That's why it's like, right. that's what I'm talking about. It's so funny how you just like connect the dots. Because that's yeah, how you ended up in not- Thailand, ultimately. Right, right. So from there, because I ran the Pudutaya Marathon in Malaysia, stayed for three months unintentionally, was teaching English. And that was like a whole new thing. I learned a lot of, you know, skills in, in like teaching my language, which I had, I fortunately had another partner there from England and she was helping me out. And it was just a lot of fun, but getting that hundred bucks. And you know what, when you think of it back then, when you talk about how I had to do things, or how I chose to do things, whether that was my character or what was the environment forcing that out of me. Because, you know, back then you had to survive with speaking, with, you know, uh, good vibes and good relations. There was no immediate call or text to a relative to, to send money, bank wire transfer. All that was technical, weird. It wasn't in the, 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 the player cards right there. You had to make sure what you had on you getting the, enough out of the bank, travelers checks and all this, making sure you could like make it last and make it work. You know what I mean? Or then you're in big trouble. So when I, when I finished that course and I got a hundred dollars, I was like, I'm going to Thailand, got on a 24 hour train ride that goes from uh, Kuala Lumpur all the way to Bangkok, get on a motorcycle from there and go to see a friend that's studying at Rungsit university. So there I'm training again and I'm running on the track and I see a guy that's running really fast. And I'm like, you know, as a runner, you just see who's running there for fun and who's like, who's got some speed behind yeah, him. He's you got know, runner's legs. Let's, let's follow He's got him. runner's legs. Of course. <laughs> you know, so I, I started tailing him on his workout. And then, uh, you know, once again, the language was just basic there. But I said, hey, you run. Can I run with you? And we had someone there help translate. And he said, yeah, you can stay with me. Uh, he was running for the, the university. So he says, you can stay with us. And it was at the athletic dorm, right, for all the athletic students. So I ended up staying there for four months in the athletic dorm and everyone's wondering like who's who's this white dude just staying randomly in the athletic dorm you know what i mean i was sleeping on the floor uh with three other guys in one of the rooms <laughs> you know training with them were morning and afternoon uh, what was that were you doing the dishes for him at least <laughs> well, uh yeah I, you know what it was they wanted to learn english they wanted to practice so there I'm an English speaker, even though I, my tie was basic, very basic. Then they were able to practice what they could. So it was like the best of both worlds. I'm training with these guys in Thailand at this university. They're able to practice their English and ask questions about America. I mean, that's, that's the idea of exchange. It was just a lot of fun. It was new. It was fresh for both sides. 
And I ran the Bangkok Marathon. That was 2005 or 2006. So I'd spend a few years traveling before I ended up coming back to Thailand for that race. After that, they saw, hey, this guy can run. And they said, hey, you want to enter on the the, the university? And I said, I mean, I got no money. I just made a hundred bucks. How am I going to go to- Well, you take a hundred bucks. I'll enroll. (laughs) 78 left. And uh, they said, you know, you can try out for the team. And so I said, okay, uh, sure. And it was like a few weeks later, they put me on out and it was literally 105 degrees, right? At 11 a.m. here in Thailand on a dirt track. And I had a race against my buddy, Dan Chai is his name. And he's a big runner. Even today, we, we meet all the time. He lives up in the north in Chiang Mai. And I had a race against my buddy. I, I, I ran my ass off and ended up throwing up everything. And they said, hey, you passed. So I'm sweating bullets. And I just vomited and then we're walking to the registration building and they said, what do you want to study? And there was like four things on the list. It was like international business, you know, like uh, economics. And then one was like political science and philosophy. I was like, that sounds cool. Yeah, that's like, that's my area right there. So I was like, check, (laughs) sign my name. And there we go. I'm locked in for four years in Thailand. I always tell people your life is almost like a, it's like a choose your own adventure video game. Like the way that you operate and I, it's fascinating to me and I wish I could do it more. You're the only person I know that does this. You, you just go from situation to situation and then you, you assess the situation and then you make a decision and you, 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 you lean into it. Like that's the thing that makes you successful is like you come to this point where you're making decisions on where to go from there. And then you make that decision, but you own it and you stick with it. And I think that's what makes it easier for you to like bounce around and do these things. Whereas other people, um, myself included, again, I've heard these stories a million times and I'm still kind of like, how did he connect those dots? That's a big part of it, I think for sure is. And also to like, you know, you're obviously really good at communicating. Um, No matter the language, you find a way to find some people that you find like people or different people, and then you figure out what motivates them. And then you find a way to make that a part of what you're doing too. So it's, I love it. I love these stories. They're great because I, no matter how many times you hear them, I think that they can, ins- they inspire people to be like, Hey, what do I have to lose? That's kind of your mantra. I feel like, like, what do I have to lose? Yeah. Especially, especially then at that age, you know what I mean? You're just going for it. And I've already made the decision. Hey, my mother's unhappy. I'm not going to university. You know, at that I'm traveling the world. I just got to roll with it. You know what I mean? What am yeah. I going to do now? And I didn't even realize or think of like the long-term risks. You know, it's just like adventure, adventure experiences. But then when you look at it, like, especially now at my age, you stop and think it's like, we compare like someone trying to go and make the most money. There's only a limit to like, even on the world, how much money you could possibly make. Right. Yeah. And then when it comes to experiences, that that's the tricky thing. Cause you could just as well get caught up or get your whole life caught up in trying to build experiences because there's an infinite amount of experiences. There's yeah. easily more infinite options of experiences on this planet than there are to how much money you could make. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of people this age that are trying to, you know, go and get the experience and you got to be able to control that too. You know what I mean? Because if you go out and you just try to crush it to make all this money for what you're asking, Hey, that's another thing. I wanted nothing to do with that. I was like, I wasn't even interested in money. And I'm only now in my life trying to get interested in making money, you know? So it's like, we've I had a lot of conversations. Money. We've had you and me and Ben have had a lot of yeah. conversations about yeah. this. Yeah. No, it's so only that. It's starting to kind of come around, you know, yeah. it's, it's interesting. But for anyone that's coming to Thailand, that's that's an interesting thing. It's like uh, language aside, you come to Thailand, you come with a with a good vibe. The Thai people are amazing. They're amazing at being able to read character, emotions, your gestures. You know, what I mean, they can really understand who you are. You come in with positive energy or you come in with some hot, heavy, negative energy. Mm-hmm. And I tell people you, you come with good vibes. It doesn't matter how much Thai you speak. They're going to, they're going to fill you out and you know, you're going to get the smiles. You're going to go back with a great experience 
And that's what it's all about. You know, Thailand is an amazing country in that sense. You know, everyone's everyone here in Thailand, when they look at the political situation, the government, I mean, that's a whole other story. We could go on for hours. Yeah. And people say, why, why do you want to move here when you look at the political situation? And, and if for a foreigner, especially a 19-year-old, I was not looking around the world and saying, hey, what political structure do I want to go and investigate and live by? Because no. I wasn't even planning on living here for 17 years. I wasn't planning to set my life up. There, no. I nailed it for four years at university, and that kind of set the stage. I built roots around the running track program, marathon racing, ended up working and racing for both Nike Thailand and then later Brooks Thailand. And that kind of just, you know, everything came through running. And, th- and that's the passion of mine. You know, it's like you, you have a passion. I wasn't able to make money off of it, but I used that passion, followed that passion to make contacts, whether it was for a university, friends, you name it. But even though you didn't make money, so to speak, you got things that helped you keep your life going there. So that's that I could argue that that you, you know, you got value out of it, which kept you going. Yeah. And I know, Gibby, I think I could saw you ready to ask a question. Anybody who's planning to go to Thailand that's listening to this that hasn't already been. We'll get you in touch with Brian and you'll be in set. He's ba- you're basically a local now. Like, you know, you can't yeah, be, you can't be, um, you can't be like fluent in a language unless you're, they say, unless you're from that country and you learned it to begin. I would argue that you found a way to somehow become fluent in Thai. So like the ability that you have to get people around is great. And I think anybody who's looking to go, the first stop should be somebody like you, who's like going to set them up with an experience, but not force them to do things. Just give them options and say, Hey, this is what it is. And you'll have a good time if you try these out. Well, that was no. actually one of the things you touched on, Brian, at the very beginning yeah. is uh, the culture and, and the Thai people and everything. And um, so I have a, a really good friend whose wife is from Thailand. And the one thing that stands out when I was thinking about this and I was thinking about speaking with you is her EQ, like the emotional quotient and being able to yep. read someone and their energy um, and, you know, understand the positive vibes and gravitate towards those areas uh, is second to none of, of almost anyone I've ever met. Um, and so anyway, I, I was, that was one of the questions I was going to have for you was around the culture and and maybe some of the differences or some of the, you know, if you're, if you go back to the States at any point, or like when you, if you visit, you know, what are the things that stand out in terms of the, maybe not culture, like people act like this, but um what are some of the things culturally that, that you've noticed um, are the, the biggest differences? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, we could go on so uh, hit on so many different topics here. But yeah. if I talk about like some of my first times flying back after spending like a few years here and then going back to the States, it would hit me right in the airport where the, the level of in- intensity and uh, confrontation was just like a whole different thing. People were uh, louder on the phone. There was uh, I mean, you just hear people arguing like right in front of you. Uh, families arguing i remember seeing like a a kid get like uh spanked or whatnot right in the in the airport and to me it was just like you know not to say that stuff doesn't happen here right but like uh when you're out and about or in public you know for the most part you you don't you want to save face you know that's that's the thai thing you know save face so so you're gonna keep things as chill and unconfrontational as possible unless things become you know quite intense you know someone really pushes the limit so i remember just seeing people almost uh, it was their faces that stuck out. You know what I mean? Uh, when I'd go back home, it just seemed like they were upset. I remember being in line and someone was saying something and I didn't want to get involved at all. And I was like, oh, I think he's talking about the-. And then the other person turned around and said, hey, I'm not talking to you. You try. And then all of a sudden I unintentionally got involved in something that I was just trying to like 
like peacefully negotiate because it was a simple misunderstanding there. And all of a sudden I'm part of it. He's like, you back off. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this never happens. In, in Thailand. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, not that it doesn't happen here at all, but uh, generally speaking, you, you see Thai people asking each other for help or can I borrow this or which way is this? And especially a foreigner, they're going to kind of go even uh, out of their way a little bit more to, to make sure that you're comfortable in a new surrounding, you know, and that's the thing yeah. as a foreigner, I've been living here. I use Thai every day, whether or not I speak it as fluent, you know, as, as one might think, you know, I, I think people feel comfortable speaking to me about anything and yeah. uh, they're, they're willing to help you out. And there's a word here, like if there's one power word and these, this, the power words in certain languages that don't transfer or translate perfectly in, in our own language, I think are the ones that really uh, showcase what the, the people and the culture is all about. And this word is nam jai. Nam jai. And the word nam, it, nam is water. Nam, dum nam, to drink water. Jai, jai is what jai, heart, right? So nam jai is like literally water from the heart, you know, or water heart. But to say that someone has nam jai, right? That means that person has consideration. They have this ability to be all thinking as a family unit, working together, calling this person grandma, that person younger brother, and so forth. And that's even in the language itself. That's how people talk to one another. You don't say you and I. You know, you say grandma, yeah, uh, do you need any help? Oh, younger brother, are you going this way? And so forth. So to have namjai is something that people look up towards. The opposite of not having namjai, if that person doesn't have namjai, that person doesn't have namjai, they're selfish. They're thinking only of themselves, what they need to do, and won't go out of their way for anyone else. So it's a power word, and it's not something that people normally learn on their first trip here, but I think it's one that uh, should be like investigated if you, if you come here. Toss that word out. Understand what the people here, uh, how they uh, encapsulate that word, namjai. Yeah, you, you have a, um, let's do a couple basic words or phrases that we can teach some folks here in Thai that if they do go over there to see you and or just travel to Thailand that we can we can leave them with they just landed they got to uh they got to the airport they just landed they don't know anybody they're trying to find their way what are a couple of words give me two or three words or short phrases because you know these can get out of control that you would yeah. teach somebody right out of the gate like what are some basic Thai that you think people would be beneficial to have them learn Here's a, here's a fun one, because this is a, a fun one you can toss out to the tuk-tuk driver uh, uh -huh. here and there, even uh, at the, the street stall lady that's, that's whipping up like a, a nice uh, basil chicken and whatnot. The, the word is sutyat. 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 Yacht. Yacht. Like think yacht. of a yacht. So I always yacht. tell people, think of someone wearing a suit. Okay. They're wearing a suit on a yacht. And you can say, hey, that's awesome. That's cool. Think of someone wearing a suit on a yacht. Now, that word right there, yacht, means awesome, amazing, oh, so cool, great. And you can toss that out, yacht, yacht, yep. there. Yep. And, and interestingly enough, you'll notice in the Thai language that it'll, it'll, it'll be glottal stops. So in, in English, we won't say in, in a suit, we'll say suit, and we have a little aspiration there, suit. We don't have that. It ends in a glottal stop. So it's suit, and then yacht. It's not yacht. It's yacht. It ends there, yacht, suit, yacht, suit, yacht. Try that one, Matt. Suit, yacht. Sutya. Sutya, there we go. Sutya. Only because you've taught me over the years about the, the stops, right? Because you, you think in English we have like a way of going about it. But once you realize that you don't need to complete that word, so to speak, it's kind of like you trail off. It's That's right. like how I think of it. But I don't know how you keep it straight. You were saying earlier, there are words, and I know there's a lot of words in Thai that if you just change a tiny bit about the way that you're pronouncing it, 
it's something really bad and you intended it to be something really good. Like the, the, the level of complexity to that language, the tone, like the, the, the instant, like the utterance is just so crazy to me how you, you'd think there'd be more disagreements. It's something I'm still, still, you're still working with time and again uh, today because it's like those tones are, are drilled in at such a young age for a native speaker, right? That it's just like, it's there, it's part of them. And yep. that takes the longest time to really pick up on only listening and then learning how to uh, write that specific tone, reading it and so forth. But yeah, you can say essentially some words uh, up to five different ways, five different tones and having completely different meanings. You know, uh, here's, here's one that's more commonly mispronounced is, is the word beautiful. So someone say, oh, you're so beautiful. Right. So is beautiful. But if you say soy, that means like unlucky, you know, so you can either say something <laughs> is beautiful or, or is unlucky. And, and, and it, it's just the tone there, you know, that's why <laughs> it's so good. Um, so I'd say, yeah, start, start with suit yacht and the rest will fall because everyone learns. So what the crap and, yep. and here's another thing is like, if you're learning any Thai, you remember this one little trick and you're going to just sound so much nicer. You grab any of those Thai phrase books and they'll teach you this, but make sure to, to put it into place is the word crap at the end. OK, by adding the word crap, that's usually spelled like in a transliterated, transliterated English, like there's no official transliteration. So crap is going to be K-R-A-P. And that's for a male speaker. They'll use crap at the end to just sound formal. So I saw the crap. Everything ends with a crap. So whatever you're saying, you just add on crap and it's going to sound really nice and elegant. You're going to sound like you're being polite. You and that don't was a, add crap at the end. You're going to be just too too direct. That was a pretty high why that you just gave us. So I appreciate that. That was that was nice. Uh, Gibby doesn't yeah, know is, quite yet. I'll that. explain to him, but that was a pretty high why. So Gibby, the higher, the higher, Brian, you could tell this story real quick. Like the higher you go with this, the more... Um, okay. I, I don't want to butcher it, but like the higher you go with it, the more that other person is like royalty, basically. Right. Yeah, you're receiving respect. You know, a monk is going to re- receive a much higher why, you know, the king is going to go way back and up and over. Uh-huh. So no one does that. But yeah, a typical why is going to be around here. And then an adult to a, a child or a teacher to, uh, you know, a young, a young kid, they'll probably have a, a why kind of low here. You know, but it doesn't mean you have to come to Thailand. You have to why everybody. You know, I mean, everyone's gonna <laughs> just don't point at anybody. Just don't point <laughs> at anybody, and you'll be safe. That would be That's like going around and shaking everyone's hand. Imagine if someone comes over and they go, oh, "Hi," and they go shake a hand, go shake this person's hand, shake this person's hand and before saying anything. Hand. You know, you don't have to shake everyone's hand. Give me my. Give me my. I wanted to get in, you know, while we, uh, I want to leave meat on the bone for your next visit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, to, to continue the conversation because I for just sure. backstage green room, um, hearing a ton of the, the story. Like I could dive into a million questions about like Mekong River um, and, and some of your different stories you were tell, talking about, like the, the caves and everything there. But um, something that it sounded like and, and you alluded to before is the picture behind you. Um, and Maddie mentioned too, yeah. uh, Kava plant. Um, so would love to kind of hear, you know, what your interest is there, what, what you're passionate about. Um, and, 
take and, it from there. And Brian, yeah. Yeah, Brian I mean, before you I'm, go, I'm, before you go, yeah. keep in mind that we'll probably have you back to talk about Kava specifically. So you give us the right, abridged so version now, and then we'll get into some detail on it. Because it's a lot. It's a lot. There's a lot going on there. We've been drinking Kava yeah, for, what, 20 years now? Like, it's yeah, a part of our years. friendship. 20, yeah. 22 years drinking in high school, read about it in a book. But Kava is, uh, to do the short version here, is, uh, it's, it's definitely becoming more popular in the world in general, yes. especially in the States where there's over 150 Kava bars. You know, these are these are venues that you go to and they'll serve only Kava. Uh, and so uh, first encountering it on my own in high school, ordering it online, convincing my father to let me use his credit card to buy some random bag of brown powder for $50. You know, that was that was enough um, to push him through. But uh, the yeah, things you've uh, talked us into. And that evolved in understanding that kava, this plant, which is right behind me, this is actually a picture from Captain Cook's botanist in 1773 when they first showed up into to Fiji, which is where kava is, 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 is commonly used. Of course, it originates in Vanuatu and is known as a canoe plant. So it made its way by canoe from to places like uh, Fiji, Tonga, Samoa, as well as Hawaii. And even on the big island of Hawaii, uh, they grow a lot of kava there. And it's been used for thousands of years as a way to bring people together. So the root from this plant right here, not the leaves and the stems, uh, the root is is uh, ground up into a powder and then mixed with water or, or massaged in the water. And then they drink it out of a big um, bowl known as a tanoa, a kumete. And there's certain levels of etiquette and protocol that are, are go- that goes into kava, whether it's after work, getting together with friends, sitting and talking and drinking kava, or it's a formal ceremony for a wedding, or let's say the, the rugby team from Fiji, they win the gold, they get back, what are they doing? They're having a very detailed and ornate kava ceremony. Of course, in Fiji, it's called yangona, but kava is the typical word used in Hawaii, it's known as ava. And uh, I spent uh, a little bit of time working on a, on a kava farm in Hawaii, uh, this is years later after drinking it, wanting to learn more about how to propagate, grow it, share it. And now here, I'm part of uh, the first kava club in Thailand, and it's known as Kalapu Namjai. Kalapu is a Tongan word for, for kava club. And uh, we use that word because the, the member that brought this up is Diope, and he's from Tonga. So two of our members are from Tonga, and they have connections to kava that's grown in Tofua, as well as Ewa Island. And so we have uh, Siope, uh, Pita, and many other people here in Thailand that drink kava on a regular basis. Weekly, we meet re- weekly to, to mix kava, share stories, and the conversations aren't about kava. Kava is simply a tool, and the tool allows us to sit there, be focused, clear, relax, and learn about each other and talk. And it's a, it's a way that's separate from that of alcohol. This day and age, people go out, and no matter where you are in the world, especially here in Thailand, in Laos, it's a rice whiskey, you name it. Uh, alcohol is a huge part of the way people interact. And I found it interesting because I myself don't drink any alcohol. Uh, I did for that short period and I thought, okay, this isn't for me. And kava was just so unique and so different. And the feeling was really relaxing too. Mm. After my track and field workouts, I drink some kava, that muscle pain would just, you know, fade away. I'm a 16 year old kid thinking, whoa, this is interesting. My parents were very like, no drinks, no alcohol, no marijuana. So I'm drinking my Fijian tea. And they're like, that's fine. <laughs> you know, you, <laughs> we don't know anything about it, but it's want. fine. Next thing you know, I'm having these big Fijian tea parties at my house, you know, Walton Street, <laughs> right there in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Even yeah. the neighbors are like, what's going on at the Marauders' house? You know, why are there <laughs> big parties? They're coming over to see. Who's drinking? What's going on? And we're having a cup of tea. You know what I mean? So it is a really unique uh, uh, plant. 
but it's a, it's a unique culture that's coming from a, yeah. a unique part of the world that not many people know about. So when you take kava and you put it in a capsule or you put it in a mixed drink at a, at a kava bar, oftentimes you, you're disconnected with the thousand year tradition and culture of sitting around and enjoying it in a respectful manner. And that's how we do it here. We well, make traditional kava bowls. I have a bowl right here that you can actually see, you know, let's see. There yeah, we go. There's, there's a, nice a kava one. bowl. You know, this is a small one. I can show you a bigger one later. But there's there's a lot we could go into on kava. But with that being said, I'd like to take a shout for both of you guys here. Love I mixed it. a little bit of kava in preparation for this uh, talk. So the way we do it here is we do one little clap. We say life before we drink the shell because we're sharing life with each other. When we sit in a formal kava circle, um, we engage in what's known as talanoa. And that's a good word to know because whether you speak Tongan, Fijian, Samoan, None of these that I speak, but I'm always learning new new words in, in all these languages. Talanoa is the word that is used to describe the, the circle that you create around the kava bowl that you can have an open discussion about many things. Because when you drink kava, you're very relaxed. You don't get yep. angry, but you're That's very clear-minded. You can talk about everything. You That's know? the thing. When we started drinking kava, and while you get that going, Brian, you go ahead. Yeah, and I'll, uh, I'll stop for you when you go to take your shell. People always ask, what's it feel like? What's it do to you? Is it like alcohol? Is it like a drug of some sort? And that everybody wants to relate it. But I really think the, you know, the way it makes you feel is one thing, but it's it's really about the community. Like when we've been drinking kava, we don't do it in a way where we're trying to feel a certain way. It just gets us to a point where, for me anyway, and I think you feel the same way, Brad, we do this with, with our friends and it opens you up. You start having some conversations that you might not feel, even with your best friends that you might not feel ready to have. You start sort of opening up a little bit and it just becomes it becomes a very freeing experience. And it's taught me a lot in my life to just, you know, not worry so much, like, you know, whatever you're thinking, share it with the people that you care about and you never know where you're going to get back. So it's, it's been a really cool aspect of my life for sure. I'm I'm thankful that you, uh, your craziness brought us to this, (laughs) some other stuff we got rid of, we didn't need, but this one's stuck and I'm kind of, I'm glad. Yeah. It's, that's the thing. It's stuck with us. You know I mean? 22 years of drinking kava, even if we go months without it, we get together, we get around the Kava Bowl, we share stories, we talk. And I think that's yep. a beautiful thing. And you know what? As, as a white boy from Massachusetts drinking Kava from the South Pacific in all places like Thailand, everyone's asking me, like, what's going on here? And when we sit down with our Tongan friends, they're, they're happy to see that Kava is being mixed out of traditional Kava Bowl, being yep. shared in a, in, a, in a way of respect. You know what I mean? So with this cultural appropriation and all these things that I read about on the news in the States, yep. it's something that I keep in mind. And I sit and we talk about these. We open discussions about this because how do we have or allow Kava to move in a proper direction? You know what I mean? And yeah. and I think that requires a lot of, of, of respect and a lot of listening, you know? Yep. yep. Good skills. Yeah, good skills. And with that being know, Yeah, go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. No, go All ahead. Right, I'll take a shell right here. So take a shell right here. Both you guys this is for the podcast. This is uh anyone out there that's heard of the word kava, thinking of trying it. It does require patience. It's not one little tincture, one tablet, or even just one shell that's going to show you the magic and all that mana, that energy there. But uh, you put in the patience and you'll see that there's, there's a lot uh, in the gift form from this plant to, to, to humans here. So this is a shell to all of that and our good conversation here tonight. Life. 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 Love. Nice. Yeah. And it's, you know what else too? It's like anything else. When we first started drinking it too, like classic Western civilization, we try to abuse it, right? That's what we do. We try to find a way to like escape our feelings with it. But the one thing I love about kava most is you can't, no matter what you do, it's always going to taste terrible. It's tasted terrible for 22 years. Like even you will admit that, right? It never gets any oh, yeah. better. 
never gets no, but any your better. Appreciation for it does, your you appreciation know? for it does. You can't mix it with anything to make it taste any better. You can't drink alcohol while you're drinking it. So it kind of like forces you into this state of mind where you're feeling very open. And honestly, we could use a lot more of it. That's the part I've always appreciated. Like it's brought us all very much closer as friends, which is the coolest part about it. But yeah, it's been awesome. And to to take it full circle, since we do, Brian, I think I told you we have this podcast and then we do another one where we talk about sports. There's a lot okay. of sports influence with Kava as well. So any football players from Samoa, um, Tongan football players, they all drink Kava. There's some golfers. Tony Finau is a really, really, really popular golfer. Um, and he's he's Samoan. He drinks it. You, like you see, it's a part of their life. So it's kind of funny. Like there's a big crossover between Kava and sports. There's teams, there's football teams that drink it in the well, locker room. It, yes, the Buccaneers, they have a Kava uh, shaker by Kavafied. Shout out yep. to Kavafied. If you're looking yep. for Kava, they have a good Kava. They had a Kavafied machine making Kava for the people, I believe it was the Buccaneers. It I, was. You know me, I don't know. About the NFL, no, it was. But, you nailed it, yeah. And even New England Patriots, they were drinking Kava. And you have the owner at one point saying they're sitting down drinking Kava in the locker room. I mean, it's out there. You know, it's yeah. a thing. And, yeah. Uh, it's it's cool to hear it popping up in the news every now and then. And I think if people take the time to look into it, they'll see, okay, this is, if you use it in a respectful way, it's a very safe, healthy, you know, a beverage you can bring into your, your, your group of friends, your family, your yep. relatives. Yep. Now, Gibby, I know you're about to ask your question and I can't wait for this answer because nobody eats a wider range of items on this planet than Brian. I don't know anybody. So this so, so, so I'll lead you in, ask him. I'm excited for this answer. I, I don't think we've prepped him. So it'll be great to see what he comes with. So Brian, I, I'll ask the question. I did have one more to get to before we, we sign off and, and, uh, you know, get ready for the next time. Um, but right. so you're on the tuk tuk. you're heading, you know, down for your next travel, whether it's, uh, to the Mekong river, you're heading over to Laos to, you know, to the beaches, the wonderful beaches that we haven't even touched on in Thailand that I'd love to hear more about. But uh, yeah. And you are hungry, you need a snack. Um, and you're like, let's stop here. Let's stop at this, you know, gas station, um, and pick something up at a convenience store or, you know, something easy, cheap that you need. You just need some, some sustenance. There's anything in the world at your disposal that would be at, you know, one of these convenience stores. So what is your go-to? What is your desert island? This is the one that that I will, you know, get every time or that I crave. It can be anything. It can uh, be from, from American life. It can be from your Thai life. It can yeah. be any snack that your go-to snack. It can be mobile snack. station, too. Um, Man, this is, this is, this is, this is <laughs> yeah. so much across the board. There's so much across the board, especially in the streets here. I mean, it would be too, it would be t- it would be too easy for me to just say uh, somtam. Somtam is like, it, it is my go-to. Like wherever you are in Thailand, you have a different version of somtam. Somtam is, is like papaya salad, right? And you yep. get it in, in, in Thai restaurants there, but you won't get it in uh, the real style unless you ask for the Isan style, which ha- it has uh, pala or, or pade, right? And that's fermented fish sauce. So if yep. you want like a really like just full of like probiotics, you got it all, you got that that taste, that smell, it's the, the, the Isan version. Uh, uh, so it's a um, that is what I'd go for is now there's another one. So is the Isan version of sometime. If you go to a, a Thai restaurant, ask them for pupala. So you want that Isan papaya salad. Can you give me the fish sauce? I need that. Not it's just good. the regular fish sauce, but the it's fermented good. fish sauce, you know, it's really good. So that's, and, and sticky rice. And sticky yep. rice. Of course, everything they eat 
in the northeastern part in Isan is with sticky rice. And that you're going to be full. It's going to be spicy. It's going to be probiotics. It's going to give you energy to go the whole day. You can't go wrong with that. But if I'm going to add another one in there, it's, it's uh, latna. Uh, uh, latna is like uh, made from arrowroot a powder. And it's got pork in there with some noodles and some uh, green vegetables. They call pakana. Uh, and that's amazing. It's like a gooey soup. It looks like you're drinking or eating like a gooey soup. That doesn't make yeah. any sense. It's almost like a, a crazy, like, Gelatinous. gooey texture. Yeah. Insanely. But that's from the arrowroot that's added to it. You go with that. It's a tasty, it, the, the lacks that you can add these crispy uh, noodles on top as well. So if anyone's coming to Thailand and you, you, you've tried all the main dishes, don't forget to try lat na. I knew we were going to get the most unique answer to that because you weren't going to get Doritos or Fritos. You were going to get something legit. So thank you. That's the answer I was thinking. When it comes to food, I I mean, that'll be another day maybe. I mean, we can talk about I've eaten everything from bat to to field mice uh, to snakes. I mean, you you go hold the snakes and they have to uh, drain the blood. And then you mix that with with the rice whiskey. It's it's insane the stuff you go to the market whatever they shot in the in the in the jungle that that night the night before is what you're eating you know what I mean you go it's to the, the jungle market it's insane in what you see there and in Laos it's unfortunate because there's a lot of wildlife uh, uh, wildlife that's like endangered you know what I mean yeah. so that's an issue that we're trying to fight with now today and in that in those parts of Laos too you got to watch out for unexploded ordinances it's number one country in the world for the most unexploded bombs left over from the Vietnam War. And these, yep. these are U.S. bombs that are under the ground. And, I mean, that's the story right there uh, on another day because there's bombs all over southern Laos blowing up and killing and amputating people to this day. Right now that's going on. That's and crazy. I, I walked I walk literally right through those fields, 12, 14-hour hike through all of that. And I saw the most disturbing thing of my life, you know. You're- you're, you're wild. That's the most, that's the thing that I would not be able to get myself to do. I don't know how you get yourself the courage to do that, but. Well, I, yeah, I didn't, wired. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Probably better that way. <laughs> I had no idea there was bombs there until we got to this village. And then they're like, yo, stay on the trail or you'll be blown up. And I started and looking around and seeing people missing body parts and eyes and everything. A little, uh, you know, kind of on the topic, but not. But your fa- one of your favorite songs that you somehow know every single lyric to is the Outcast song bombs over Baghdad. Somehow, you know, you, you used to anyway, you used to be able to do every single lyric from that song. Yeah. That used to get me pumped up for, for track. For made no time. sense. Yeah. Made no sense. It was like the hardest <laughs> song ever. And you knew every word, but you didn't know, you literally didn't know anything else about like pop culture, but that you somehow gravitated <laughs> to that one. So yeah, I think you're right. I can't believe you remember that too. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Awesome. This is so good. Yeah. We, you can see why we're going to have to have you back, right? There's too many things we got. There's so many things yeah. we can talk about, but yeah. I, I love, um, you know, obviously your story is one that I've been close to and it fascinates me. And I've loved having like sharing that with you. Like Kava has been fantastic. You got a gift, man. Your gift is just, you inspire people to want to do some stuff. So that's nice. Hey, hey, what are we looking at for time? I don't know if you want me to tell you a little bit about Bang Pai Payanak or should we hold on that? Hold on to that one. Where are we at, Gibby? We're, we're at about just under an hour. So we can, we've got some time. Yeah. Pop, give us a quick Bang Pai Payanak story. Yeah, we love it. So, so here I'll, I'll 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 plug this one in because if you look at like all the crazy uh, festivals or or um, unique natural phenomena that I've seen in this country and that country, and given I've spent most of my time now here between Thailand and Laos, you know I, I used to live in Laos for a few years. I worked at an international school there and in Thailand, so I've crossed the border over the Mekong River well over fifty times. 
And uh, so that that part of the of this this world is interesting to me, the food, the culture, the people and everything. But what fascinates me more than anything else, and I've been there five times now, and I, it was just two months ago on the first full moon of October, which is the end of Buddhist Lent. They call it Opansa here in Thailand. Right. It's the end of Buddhist Lent. It just so happens to be uh, supposedly when the, the, the moon has like the, the, the strongest gravitational pull. Right. And so you sit. Thousands of people sit on the banks of the Mekong River on both the Lao and the Thai side. Now, given more people are watching it from the Thai side, it's kind of caught on over the last few years or more. Um, and you sit there and around 7 p.m. at night as it's getting dark and you're looking out at this river, the Mekong River that's flowing pretty fast. It's a brown water that's just cruising. No one's on it. You're seeing these fireballs fly out of the Mekong River up into the sky and then they're out just like that. Now, I don't know if you you had Ben Roberts on the show before, but Not Ben yet. Roberts. We will. We're going to. Yeah. So Ben and I, we were on the Mekong River on the Lao side for the first time ever, trying to find the spot, the best spot to sit there and watch it. We sat there for five hours, right? At least five hours. And we didn't see anything. And at the very last moment, all of a sudden, you see this glowing orb that shoots out of the water and goes up into the air and it's gone. There's no sound. There's no smoke. There's nothing. It's just mind blowing because you're Science. looking at it one what is going on here? They do think it's a type of gas that's igniting. And then, you know, of course, there's a local legend with the Naga, the Payanak and everything. So here they call it Bangfai Payanak, right? Bangfai Payanak. Bangfai Payanak uh, or the Naga fireballs. And I say, search that up. You'll read a bunch of different things. If anyone's from Bangkok and I talk to everybody here, I talk to Thai people all the time about it. I said, if you haven't gone to see it, you get your butt over there one day. Yes. Don't miss it. They're like, oh, that's fake. <laughs> We heard that it's like the, 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 the Lao side shooting off flares and whatnot. I said, you go see it first, and then you tell me if you think those are flares. Okay? I will not stand for Bung Fai Payana slander. Absolutely Two, not. Uh, so you're talking about 200, 300 kilometers of distance all along the, the banks of the Mekong River, and they're flying up, you know, hundreds and thousands sometimes each year, depending on the year. Everything's different. At different spots throughout the river, I'm telling you, it's something you got to go see. And besides that, you've got all your Isan food, the culture, the music. It's a great place to check out. So if you're thinking of coming to Thailand anytime uh, in September, October, early October, you find your spot, you stay put, and you you witness you know to, to some of the most magical things I think you can find on this planet. There's a lot of mystery going on here. There's this oh, yeah. mystery left, right, and center. It's not all on YouTube. It's not all on the internet. Everything in between that you don't find there is is, is happening in real life somewhere. Yep. You know, so yep, you've seen a lot of it for sure. That's a suit yacht. Um, suit suit yacht. yacht, you got it. See? Now they give me yacht, and you're good right there. It's yacht. <laughs> It is. It's that's incredible. That's a great story, um, Brian. This is fantastic. I learned a ton. Like I, I could literally sit here for the next three hours if Nina didn't have to do errands today. <laughs> I can that's do that. I, said, I can go on. I can. Go I know. On. I said. I told Brian before we even did this. I was like, it won't be just one because I, a I know how many stories you've got, and b you're the only person on earth who talks faster than I do. So we're gonna have a lot to get through, and we're gonna have to do it multiple times. So is, don't worry, you're coming yeah, back. You're coming back some, for sure. I have some ideas that are are going around my brain here for uh, all right. Maybe some sort awesome. of special um, episode. Yeah these two but for sure i can you know we we can talk even about the southern border there's a lot going on between uh thailand and malaysia and and, and the jungles down there which are the thickest deepest jungles i've ever experienced you've got a tribe living down there and there's a lot going on there's a it, there's a lot of crazy stuff happening there 
Love you it. know, I almost killed myself too. It's the closest I ever came to death, you know, please popped don't. out of my body, you know, yeah, please yeah. don't do any more of that. <laughs> yeah. We, we need you. We need you back. <laughs> we need you for ratings. <laughs> Brian, thank you so much. It's been fantastic. I mean, this is the first time we've ever met and I, I couldn't have enjoyed the last hour more. Um, yeah. if I tried. So, awesome. Good. No, thank you again for having me too. Yeah. Nice. Rock on. You know, this this world it has got so much beautifulness. There's so much mystery here. And it's just what I've learned, if I just keep it short right here, it's just like over the years I've learned that, you know, even if you make plans, this and that, just keeping your eyes and your ears open for what can come. You know what I mean? People yeah. often get closed and they get, get closed off in their phone and this and then, and then they get harder. But if you open up and you feel and you listen, you're like, maybe I should go that way. Maybe I should call that person. Maybe I should try that. They start clicking and they clicking and they click. And then then it's just a fun adventure. You know what I mean? So just yep. keep keep your eyes and your ears open and and good things will come. You know? Yep. Yep. Brian, thanks for coming, man. It's good to see you as always. I know I see you a lot, but it's always great. It's always great when we get to sync up. Matt, this is this is great. And I'm, I'm honored to be on, on this, this show. So you guys rock on your Sunday. I'll do the same. And don't forget, it's Father's Day tomorrow in Thailand, December yeah. 5th. Okay. I'll call Joe. I'll call Joe. I'll make sure I, I give him I give him his best. All right. I'll I'll be sure to call my father too on that day. He's always like, <laughs> What day is it now? It's Father's Day in Thailand. It's not Father's Day here. I was like, Dad, I don't I don't remember the days over Dad, there. what do you want from me? <laughs> <laughs> thanks, buddy. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Have a good one. Bye, Mike.